Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are we gonna love him or hate him? Here Here comes comes the the binge. binge. Hey everybody, welcome to The Binge, a weekly podcast in which a couple of San Francisco homos review new movie theater releases from our own queer-ass perspectives. My name is Jason Leroy. My name is Rebecca Olarte, and today the movies we'll be looking at are The Finest Hours, 45 Years, and Nas and Malik. And as always, we're going to rate these movies on a three-tiered scale. Binge it is the highest rating. Consumer moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And send it back? What does that mean, Jason? Uh, le vie, uh, say too short, uh, poor set mess. Life is too short? Yeah, for that. Life's too short for that mess. Yeah, so sorry. you're drunk. I am. Uh, so yeah, guys, I'm just going to own it. Uh, I've had a few drinks <laughs> this week. Uh, this this week. Because I, <laughs> it is nighttime, guys. Don't let her tell you otherwise <laughs> uh, when we're recording this. Uh, yeah, so normally I do this podcast stone sober, um, except for the first one. You which were I, wasted. <laughs> the first one, I'd had a few drinks because I was like, oh, I feel like I'll be like more casual and more relaxed. But then it turns out I'm like an insane control addict. And so I did not enjoy <laughs> not having control over my like every word and tone and nuance. So I was like, I will be sober from here on out. But tonight, guys, what happened was I just came from doing an interview with my new best friend. <laughs> uh, her name is Dana Fox, and she is a screenwriter and producer who uh, has a film coming out on February 12th called How to Be Single, which is a hilarious, hilarious sort of bridesmaid-style female-driven comedy starring Dakota Johnson, Rebel Wilson, Alison Brie, and Leslie Mann. Uh, you may have seen ads for it, and let me just tell you, it is hilarious. And we are going to have uh, a sit-down one-on-one interview on this podcast between myself and Ms. Dana Fox coming up in a few weeks. Uh, but one thing led to another <laughs> at, this, <laughs> at this interview, and the publicist got me some wine. And uh, and then I came back home to record this with Rebecca. And you know, guys, you might relate unless you're a sober person. When you have one drink and then you try to do something like performery, like you're just going to start sobering up and you're going to be fucking sleepy as shit. And so I was like, I need to keep this going. Just keep it on. I'm, I'm I appreciate going. your commitment to the show. I am committed. I want it to be fun. And and what you guys don't know is that Rebecca and I have uh, just spent the last hour working on recording new versions of our jingles, which you, you may have noticed. Uh, you may have noticed, yeah. Uh, that we changed the words. Uh, what happened there is that we got some really nice new microphones. And uh, so we're like, well, let's see if we can make these sound nicer and also have new lyrics that acknowledge Rebecca and don't make it sound like (laughs) I'm this insane monster forcing my friend to sing about me. Like some kind of, you know, dictator. You're an insane monster that forces me to sing about you. Right. I feel like that evidence is all there. And (laughs) what I would like is for the show to not add to it. And so so I've, I've, I've tossed... Sort of like like an executive producer title thrown as like a vanity to some <laughs> insane actor. I put Rebecca's name in the theme song. Excellent, best boy. <laughs> yes, she is my best boy. Finally, and uh, and I should also note that she took her puffy vest off. Uh, I did for fear of making the audio. Um, uh, too puffy. So basically, I sit here, stripped down, singing Jason's <laughs> praises for two hours. I cut out some of it for ease she, of listening, and then right. I well, I guzzle beer. Well, you guzzle she, beer. Well, I sit here guzzling my like Stella Tall Boys because oh. I'm that terrible person. I'll be editing this for three hours tonight. <laughs> <laughs> we won't get a wink of sleep. 
on to the movies. <laughs> on to the movies. The is first it, movie. Is it on to the movies? It's on to the movies. All right. We're going to take a look at the finest hours. The Coast Guard makes a daring rescue attempt off the coast of Cape Cod after a pair of oil tankers are destroyed in a blizzard in 1952. Chief, pick yourself a crew and you assist that ship. You hear? That's why I signed up. Guess now's my chance. A man in there don't know what he's doing. He's sending you out to die. In the Coast Guard, they say, you gotta go out. They don't say you gotta come back in. Wet hunks on boats. Yeah. Uh, should we be prepared for a bunch of puns about semen? I haven't written any. But, oh. But if any come to me, then then I will absolutely drop them on you. Is that the... Oh, there we go. Hey! So let's, let's get this out of the way. How homoerotic does this movie get? You know, there are some moments... Uh, there, <laughs> uh, so, so there's a moment around midway through, um, that caught me extremely off guard, uh, where, so Chris Pine, it plays, you know, this guy who's in the Coast Guard and he is like recruiting these guys to go with him on a little like fucking tugboat to go out to rescue bunch of guys who are lost at sea in like some kind of, you know, merchant ship that's split in half. Chris Pine like loads these guys onto the boat and then he says to them in a very sort of like casual way. Hey, how about you take the glory hole? I'm sorry. Hey, how about you take the glory hole? How about you take the glory hole, he says. <laughs> and I was like, I, I was like maybe spacing a little bit during the movie. And, you know, at that point. And then suddenly I was like, oh, okay. Like, jostled uh, suddenly awake. I was jostled awake. I was like, <laughs> and I was very, I suddenly was very, could not have been more awake. Could not have been more alert during you, this you, movie. But not to be confused with being woke, which you were not. No, I was not woke, but I was alert. Okay. And so he says this to these guys, one who is played by Kyle Gallner, um, who is an actor I enjoy. Uh, he played, <laughs> this will this will make sense for why I like him. He played the evil white guy in Dear White People. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then he was in like Jennifer's Body. He's been a bunch of things over the years. Um, so, uh, so Kyle Gallner turns to this other, like, little kind of, like, Irish face twink, uh, who Chris Pine, like, <laughs> loaded onto the boat and is like, you know, we just got to make sure he doesn't pitch pole us now. What? Pitch pole. Pitch pole. It's like this movie was made for you. I was like, what's happening? Like, it was back to back. I couldn't, I was like, I, yeah, I, I needed, I needed a moment. The movie didn't give me a moment. I just had to process it, it go as right it through. was happening. And, uh, and yeah, and then they explain what pitch polling is, but I wasn't paying attention. No, absolutely not. Um, it had to do with like, I don't know. It honestly doesn't matter. Uh, just enjoy whatever you imagine Chris Pine pitch polling Kyle Gallner to look like. And that <laughs> is, that's what I was, was picturing during right. this scene. Maybe you'll draw up a little something for us. I think maybe I should. Maybe that'll be the key art this week. Um, so those things happened. And then beyond that, so on the, on the ship that is lost at sea, um, it's, you know, all these guys hanging around in like dirty stained undershirts. And, uh, there is this kind of big jovial fat singing cook who I was like, okay, like that's the role I would be offered if I were an actor. <laughs> and like, this guy stole in my career. And, uh, um, Horatio Sands. It was not, no, it's this dude who used to be on, I want to say Parker Lewis can't lose. Oh <laughs> yeah. Taking it back. Um, he's been around for a while. You'll know him when you see him. Um, just kidding. You're not going to see this movie. And uh, and so he is the cook for this ship. And he's very, yeah, he's very, like, cheerful. And he has this, like, very petite, like, African-American sous chef. And he has a very, like, daddy-cub relationship with this sous chef. Like, he's like, Albert, it's going to be okay. 
Oh. Yeah. And then later, spoiler alert, he kind of sacrifices himself to save Albert. Oh, wow. So there's something going on between these two. Mm -hmm. Um, And I wasn't like, I don't know if I was just being like totally silly like closet about it and like trying to read between the lines. Right. But no, I was like, what is up with these guys? Either way, you're going to start writing fan fiction about it, right? Absolutely. I already have. Okay, I submit it to Lenny. Excellent. Uh, to Lena Dunham and Jenny Connors <laughs> newsletter. They'll love it. I hope that they will. They'll eat um, it up. And I submit under a female pseudonym so that they would consider me. Oh, perfect. Um, because I don't have enough things coming my way as a white male. <laughs> so I would like to infiltrate the Lenny ranks. So, yeah. So there, 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 there is that. Uh, there, okay. there are elements that were enough to, yeah, to, to provoke me. So this is an action drama, true story, and it involves um, military men, military adjacent yeah. uh, guys, and they're, they're facing down certain death. They're going to res- rescue a bunch of stranded guys. Yeah. Is this Perfect Storm 2 still storming? Oh, that's a good joke, Rebecca. Or is it more like 13 Hours 2 Cruise Control? An even better joke, Rebecca. <laughs> you are on fire tonight. Uh, yeah, so this is, it, there's there's a lot of similar DNA here with 13 Hours. Um, but <clears throat> one of the, the best things about it is that it's like an apolitical 13 Hours because you can't... Oh, really? Yeah, you can't really politicize... The um, Coast Guard? A, a big... St- <laughs> <laughs> Cracked yourself up with that one, I, didn't the you? The Coast Guard is always funny <laughs> I to know. Me. It's like, it's a thing, I guess. I it, guess. it persists in being oh, a that. thing. Oh, the Coast Guard. Yeah, so first of all, they are far from the heat, the Coast Guard. <laughs> uh, and secondly, it's about a storm. So, right. And it's 1950s. It takes place... This is a story that happened in 1952. And so it's not like it's before there was any way to politicize the weather. <laughs> uh, which we'll come to later during our 45 years review. Uh, so, um, yeah, so this is basically, is if, if you want to see a story about heroism and men rushing towards certain death to save other men to whom they have no attachment beyond just a sense of camaraderie and duty, then see this okay. <laughs> instead of 13 <laughs> hours. Um it's also this is actually a Disney release, oh, really? and so it, it's it's sort of Disneyfied in the sense that everybody is just turned up a little notch or two on like the pluck a meter, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and all the violence. There's zero bloodshed, and no one ever says fuck, which is insane because this is about fucking Boston guys who work on boats. <laughs> um, so the fact that there's like no cursing, even from like the hothead character. Uh, is a little ridiculous. Like the token Italian? Yeah, like the token guy like, hey, what we going to do right here? Yo, well, why, what are you an expert about? Hey! You know, <laughs> so like that guy never says fuck. So that's how you know you're watching a Disney movie. Okay. Yeah. So, but yeah, so this is, this is, this is the, the binge approved story about, about <laughs> military macho heroism um, in the face of certain death over 13 hours. And as you mentioned, it has Chris Pine in it and he's handsome. He he's is. a handsome man. He is. Is he the hero? It has to be the hero, right? He is a hero, but the funny thing about his casting is that his character is intended to be like some kind of weenie. Like, and I don't mean a we- like a dick. But I mean Casey like- Affleck's in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, K- Casey Affleck plays like the brainy one. Um, oh, okay. So okay. he he is on the ship. He's in the half of the because you know half the movie is like Chris Pine over on shore, you know, trying to respond to this threat. And the other half is like Casey Affleck and all the dudes on the ship. Um, and Casey Affleck is like the brainy one who's like, he's like the Jonah Hill and Moneyball. He's like the one like, no, uh-huh. he's like, no, you guys got to listen to me. Like I'm telling you, we got to do this if we want to make it out of here alive. And they're like, what do you know, Brainiac? <laughs> and so he's like that guy. So, so Chris Bryan's character, 
um, is the kind of person about his name is Bernie Weber. Oh, first of all, and then <laughs> and then later in the movie, whenever like he emerges as a hero, um, they show like these like hothead dumb fuck guys being like, "Well, how about that, Bernie Weber? What do you know?" So you're supposed uh. to think that Chris Pine is like this kind of like weenie dude. But he is Chris Pine. Right. And they don't do anything to like make him look not like Chris Pine. Like he towers over everyone. He has that perfect hand. Those blue eyes that just get into your soul. <laughs> um, those pouty lips. And he wears a lot of like beanies in this movie, a lot of or a lot of like wool caps. Mm-hmm. And, watch caps. Yeah, watch caps. And like, can I just say that he actually looks better with his hair hidden? Really? Because he just seeing hair. just his facial features, just seeing like the eyes popping and the lips, it's like full Nini. Like, <laughs> I don't it's... know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, early Nini leaks on Real Housewives of Atlanta. Some some listeners will recognize uh, when she's like eyes popping, lips busting, other race. There I go. So um... <laughs> we talked about this. We talked about this, Elizabeth. So, 30 Rock reference. Boom. Double check. <laughs> Checking out boxes left and right. Two of the things you can count on me for in this podcast. Um, so, yeah. So, he looks beautiful, but he's playing a guy who's supposed to be a, a weenie, and it makes no sense. And he kind of plays it down. He plays it in this way where, you know, his energy level is very, like, inward, and he's very, like, hunched over and kind of, like, doesn't smile too big, and he's like, oh, hey, guys. And it doesn't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why he is cast in this role. And he, by the end, he he hasn't even really turned into, like, Chris Pine. It's not like it's not like he like goes and saves these guys and then suddenly turns into this like big like dick swinging dude. He's still like, no, well, hey guys, you know, just, just do my part. It's just a strange casting choice all around. <laughs> um, so it's a bunch of guys in a boat. Yeah. Are there fest. any women? Yes. Any women of note? So there's one. Um, Holiday Granger is the actor's name. Um, yes, her name is Holiday Granger, and she plays. Uh, <laughs> You know, it's not it's not a super empowering female part. Okay. Uh, so she is Chris Pine's uh, sort of girlfriend, semi fiance, and uh, the movie is framed as a romance between them. So it opens with Chris Pine meeting her on a blind date, on like a blind double date, and then it's sort of framed as well. You know, they're about to get engaged, maybe, but then he gets called out to sea to go and save these guys, and is he going to make it back in time? And uh, and so here is a brief summary of his girlfriend's arc in this okay. film. She is so marriage crazy. Oh, God. That she proposes to him in the middle of dancing with him at like some kind of 50s sock hop, making him freak out and say no. Uh, then she like has this big fight with him and like talks him into accepting her proposal. Uh, then while he is away at sea... She storms into his workplace, makes an emotional scene in front of his boss. Oh, wow. And then promptly drives into a snowbank. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's amazing. And not only does she drive into a snowbank, an enormous snowbank that she could have very easily just not hit. (laughs) Uh, Well, you know, women drivers. Exactly. Oh, no. Um, So they show her driving to the snowbank, like the one snowbank along like an otherwise like pristine. Isn't it rainy season? What is this movie about a storm? Well, well, so it takes place during winter. Okay. Um, And it's like she found the one snowbank on an otherwise dry road. (laughs) Um, So not only does she drive into the snowbank. Oh, no. um, So that happens. And then they cut back to like other action with like Chris Pine on his little tugboat and like the other dudes on the boat waiting to like meet certain death or be rescued. And when they cut back to her later, night has fallen. She's still in the and car. And she's still no! staying in the car. <laughs> no. 
So she it's is terrible. So she's marriage crazy, trying to hector this like this like poor nutless guy into like agreeing to marry her. And then she makes an emotional scene in front of his boss, and then she drives into a snowbank and sits there for the rest of the day. <laughs> it's like a oh my god! It's not a super empowering female character. Holiday Granger plays. So the movie doesn't pass the Bechdel test at all. Well, no, it doesn't. Um, they do introduce another character um, who is played by Rachel Brosnahan from House of Cards, uh, who is sort of like she she is a, a widow of of this kind of you know boating industry of the area, and uh, and so she has a really kind of this is, she probably is 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 the best performance in the movie in a lot of ways. Like she's just very haunting and very has like a lot of inner life going on. She played on House of Cards. Did you watch House of Cards? I have, yeah. So she plays that um that woman who was like the confidant, um who they kept trying to hide away. She's oh like, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, okay. So and uh so yeah so she and Holiday Granger meet as Holiday Granger is thinking that Chris Pine is dead and um but then their conversation is only about like uh-huh. oh our men are boaters our men get lost at sea sometimes so no it does not. <laughs> That old conversation. Yeah. So it does not know. They do not talk about themselves or their goals or like what life could mean without a man. That's not, <laughs> not a conversation that happens. Um, so this movie is not great to women. How how about racially? It's uh, it looks pretty, pretty fucking white. Yeah. I mean, there is that one. There is like that little sort of like baby cub twink um, mm-hmm. who is yeah. is is sort of like the. You know the 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 kept play thing of like the big jovial fat singing chef that I auditioned for and didn't get. <laughs> and uh, aside from that, no. <laughs> and I mean, like, granted, this is like a Boston area story right. <laughs> from like 1951. I don't know what the racial makeup would have been then. Probably pretty pretty. It's like, or I think it's like Wellesley. Did we even say in the? Does it say in the intro that we no. did? Okay, it says Cape Cod. Cape Cod. All right, so there you go. Um, so yeah, no. This is this is this is almost entirely the speaking parts are almost entirely uh, white. Yeah great yeah <laughs> so other than this being the best use of a watch cap since vincent d'onofrio and mystic pizza Ooh, um deep cut what do you he looked great in that movie mm-hmm. what do you give this movie uh it's a consumer moderation okay. uh you know it's totally solid uh more than anything this is a good date movie honestly um i mean for straight couples <laughs> or two gay men no, I mean, maybe. <laughs> um, but, you know, more, I mean, there's, you know, aside from the glory hole and pitch polling, you know, I mean, that's, a, that's pretty yeah, heavy. That's something. I mean, it'd be funny to watch just like any, if any of you go see this in theaters and you're wondering if someone's in your you is a homosexual, just watch them during those lines. <laughs> because if you were in my theater when I watched this, you would have heard me go, whoa, <laughs> out loud. I made an out loud noise. Which my friend Ingu will attest to. Oh, excellent! So, uh, but yeah, so it's going to moderation. This is a perfectly solid, very preferable alternative to thirteen hours. Um, and you know, it's not great, but it's 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 capable, it's competent, and uh, and and yeah, I think it'd be a good date movie, guys. And the finest hours is out now and is rated PG thirteen for intense sequences of peril. That brings us to our next movie, which I believe is the pick of the week: forty five years. Pick of the week. Pick of the week. Pick, pick, pick. It's a pick, pick of, of the week. week. A married couple preparing to celebrate their wedding anniversary receives shattering news that promises to forever change the course of their lives. What is it? I found her. You know who I'm talking about, don't you? We never talked about it in all the years that we've known each other. And it's tainted everything. 
You didn't know. No. I didn't. So this movie, Charlotte Rampling, has been uh, nominated for an Academy Award for Best Actress. Correct. Um, and there's recently been some controversy about um, her response to hashtag Oscars still so white. Yeah. Um, she pretty much said, well, it was reported that she it was, said. When it was translated as reported. It was right. reported and translated if that she said. If we have any French-speaking listeners. Yeah, any Francophiles out there. Hit any... us up on Twitter. I'd like to know yeah. what she actually said. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that, she did an interview in French, or for a French language radio interview, mm-hmm. uh, where she made made several comments that were translated by, I believe, the Guardian in the UK, right? As her saying that this was racist toward whites, um, this this outcry about the lack of actors of color who were nominated, and uh, and then she came forward and said, like, this is taken out of context. This is not what I said. I was just saying that, like, ideally it would just be an equal level playing field for everybody and we wouldn't have to have these kinds of conversations because there would just be a representation already there mm-hmm. in the nominees. Uh, so it's hard to, you know, who knows? It's it's really hard to, hard to know one way or the other what her heart is, right? you know, how she feels about this. Um, you know, she is an older European lady. Uh, I don't expect her personally to have any real grasp on American political nuance around race relations. Uh, I think that, you know, she has her own, you know, place in this context in terms of, you know, like whatever's going on, you know, in Europe about this. Right. Uh, so I, d- I don't expect her rambling to suddenly be like, you know, like showing up at like a Black Lives Matter protest. Uh, I think that's just not her place in the world. Uh, if she said this is racist toward whites, then that would obviously display a tremendous lack of understanding of how, you know, the dynamics of power work in race and privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, but I personally would rather give her some benefit of the doubt that this was something lost in translation and that all French, when translated, sounds racist. <laughs> well, how do you feel that so knowing this controversy, how does that change your does that change your opinion of the movie? Does that affect your review. So when I was watching this the other day, um, so I, I had watched this movie once uh, when I was at uh, Toronto, which I know you guys can't get enough of me saying. <laughs> so, but no. So one night I watched this at Toronto because I already had it downloaded um, and I was feeling shitty because I'd only watched like three movies that day, which at Toronto is like a poor showing. And so I went to my hotel room and I like poured myself a drink and started to watch 45 hours, 45 years. <laughs> Everything's hours this, Everything this week. Everything is. So I started to watch 45 years. And um, can I just stress to you guys that this is a super quiet movie uh, that I, I really do think should be seen in theaters in some place where you won't be distracted. Because hmm. uh, I think that if you if you are sitting there watching this at home and you have your phone with you, you will play with your phone. I disagree. I, really? I was... I, I was captured i watched it at home um i felt like it was a movie to be watched at home if anything it feels like it's casual enough to watch at home and not Mm. quite it's not i don't know to me going to the theater often means like i want to see something in like a big explosive way uh it's a very intimate story it's a very small story super intimate no i think you're right i think that i was probably just a i was i had already watched you know fucking what like 16 movies in three days Mm -hmm. and then b i was drunk and uh, <laughs> and I was exhausted from watching movies all day, which which I know that sounds crazy, but it it is tiring. And so, point being, um, I watched this again a few days ago, 
Um, and I was very riveted by it. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think that, you know, in that context of being watching it like a normal person <laughs> instead of like a crazy <laughs> a drunk maniac, child. a drunk child watching 45 movies in like eight days, um, it was very riveting. But so th- I watched it after the controversy had begun about her comments and watching it, I couldn't help but think about it. Yeah. Um, I was thinking like, oh, you know, like, why? This is so shitty. And I just wonder if she understands in the age of internet shaming like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what she did. Yeah. Um, and like just how severely this hurts her chances of winning. It, it would really be hard. It would be very challenging unless it's just like a spite vote from all the angry old racists in the academy. They get are, like one last vote are, this who, year. Yeah, exactly. Right. This is like their parting shot at the, at, <laughs> at the changes. Right, we're going to give that old racist an Oscar. And she's like, I did not say I did not think this what I was saying. I don't even think she's French. I'm being next anyway. Because it was an interview that was in French. So, uh, but no, I mean, I, it did cloud my particular vision when I was watching this movie. And I felt bummed about that uh, because she gives just an absolutely brilliant performance. And she's only ever given brilliant performances. She is a, a phenomenal actor who is so distinct and unique in, in her energy and what she brings to a film and to a role. So, um, but yeah, no, I did. I, I thought about it. I thought about it when I was watching it. Um, I haven't seen it since I watched it before and, and I feel like that was a gift. Yes. Um, it would be hard to watch it now because it's, it's so much about her. The story follows mm-hmm. her from the beginning, yeah. you know, she's in every shot, every shot. And, and knowing that it really fills the screen, mm-hmm. uh, which is unfortunate. Yeah. Um, well, and the funny thing was you had mentioned, um, so Lena Dunham interviewed Charlotte Rampling for Lenny. This podcast sponsored by Lenny. Sponsored by Lenny. Lena Dunham, Jenny Connor. So, uh, they Lena interviewed Charlotte Rampling for the Lenny newsletter a few months ago, and I just read it a few days ago because <laughs> I had been like flagging all those Lenny emails uh-huh. <laughs> in my e- and I never read any of them. And the other day, I was just like sitting on the bus and I was like, oh, what the hell? Um, so I read her interview with Charlotte Rampling, and what's interesting is that Lena repeatedly um, tries to sort of politicize Charlotte's like the arc of her career right. and the roles that she's chosen. As a and woman. as a woman and as in terms of like sexual um, frankness mm-hmm. and in terms of agency. And every time she does it, Charlotte just kind of like bats her away. Like, no, you yeah. know, Lena will be like, you know, like, you know, was this something that you were thinking about consciously when you're picking <laughs> these roles? Because when you stand back and look at all of them, I see all of this. You know, if I were to write a thesis about all of this, I would see that you were doing this on purpose to try to create a narrative about female sexuality that is in your own and is not something that's come before you. And, and <laughs> very good. Thank you. It's a very I've been working good on it. It's a hard impression to Lena do. And um, Charlotte Rampling's like, no. She's kind of, and he's like, oh, okay, well, you know, like, I, maybe I, I, whenever I look at it, I, I feel like this is what I am seeing, but, you know, I mean, like, I am not you, and, and, and Charlotte's like, okay. And From so, a woman who did The Night Porter. Yes, from a woman who did The Night Porter. Um, she, she, which, if you guys haven't seen it, is about, have you seen it, Rebecca? I have seen it. Yeah. It's a woman from, uh, who was in a concentration camp who sort of revisits her, uh, commandant and has this um, sadomasochistic exactly relationship yes yeah. yeah it's, it's very it's, intense yes so she kind of was resisting and i remember you were saying you're like oh she seems so sophisticated this interview with lena dunham and reading the interview now in the light of that mm-hmm. um interview i was like oh like you see her resisting the attempts to politicize you know from a through a lena dunham lens right right um she's like no i don't think of it that way 
And uh, maybe I was just won over by her uh, smart slacks and talks about like <laughs> right. I mean, Japanese designed clothes. Lena definitely fetishizes like just the image of Charlotte Rampling, mm-hmm. which is which is I mean a totally reasonable thing to have done prior to these comments because she is like an icon of cool. She has her own look. She, right, it's like a like a French androgynous. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I mean, she's cool as fuck, and so it makes sense that Lena would do that. Um, so it's interesting just to look at through the lens of what's now been said to go back and look at the interview and be like, okay, so here's her. Oh, and she also says something, uh, cause the interview touches upon Charlotte's struggles with mental illness. Oh, right. Which, yes. which apparently she's been very open about, which I hadn't heard about. Mm-mm. Um, and then she says in the interview, she's like, what is so important is that every word is precise. She's like, when I did that this, she's like, when I did this interview with, um, L or whoever it was, she was talking to about it. Um, she's like, I went back, I, I poured over every word of that interview to make sure that everything was exactly right because the wording is so important. That is, I didn't even think about that. I read it before the, before yeah, the, right, the of course. So it didn't have the context of, yeah. So I was like, Oof. Oh, I was like, yeah, man, Charlotte. Like, I mean, like, so that means like she must really be kicking herself about this whole thing. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and then even in the movie in 45 years, there's a scene where, um, her husband, uh, says to her something like, Oh, well, you know that uh, that racist at the community center. Oh, right. And then she just says the N-word, <laughs> she... which is like, couldn't have been part <laughs> no. of the story. That's not true. Okay. Uh, she's like, oh, right, Sandra Wilkins or yeah. something like that, which sounds, that's my impression is getting more stewy than it should. <laughs> oh, right, Sandra Wilkins. Mm. <laughs> so it's not how Charlotte Rambling talks, guys. No, it isn't. Um, I think Lenny Letter would be a good place for her to make a... A statement about I, I hope that they reach out to her about that. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure she could have some kind of, uh, you know, perspective on being internet shamed as an older lady and, and feeling like her agency has been pulled away from her. I could write it myself. <laughs> <laughs> you can play both parts. I could. Okay, so back to the movie. Yes. Uh, so it's important to note, you think it's important to note, yeah. um, that it's not a murder story. Yes. So if you have read anything about this movie, and then when you start to watch the movie, you will think to yourself, oh, this must be a murder story. Because what we have here is a story about a married couple who are, it takes place day by day in like the five days leading up to their 45th wedding anniversary party, which they're having because the 40th anniversary, um, the husband got sick and they couldn't. So if you're wondering why 45th, that's why. And uh, so what happens is that the husband, and this is all in the first 10 minutes, guys. This is not like major spoilers. Um, the husband gets a letter in German um, informing him that a, a woman that he had been in a relationship with prior to his marriage, um, she had died while he had been on vacation with her. And, uh, and then her body had just been recovered and it actually had been frozen um in ice because she fell into i believe a fissure mm-hmm. um yeah. and uh and so she and so suddenly this 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 reintroduces this this woman this relationship he had been in and it has a bigger effect on him than than his wife would have anticipated and uh in the days leading up to this anniversary and so i think most audiences oh, just american or all western audiences would see that and be like oh, okay so he killed her right and that's, yeah, especially with like the movies that we've seen lately. Right. So you think like, oh, so he so he pushed her, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you keep waiting for it to go in this like murder detour route. 
And that's not what this movie is. And I feel like thinking it's going to be that way, you'll just be disappointed because it's just a much more intimate sort of like chamber piece. Yeah, you'll be di- you'll be distracted if you're yeah, kind of expecting if you're like waiting happen. for like waiting for like the oh like here's oh she found evidence that he pushed her no that's not what's going to happen right. so that's the what this movie please don't come knocking no no it's not that kind of movie um and it's better for it it's better for not being Absolutely. that kind of movie um so that is my my disclaimer that I want to put out to all of you before you see this movie that we're recommending that you binge so as you as you mentioned uh, her body gets discovered and mm-hmm. that's through. Kind of the statement that's made about global warming. Yeah. So this is... Yeah. As mentioned earlier, um, this is the movie that is more about politicized weather. Yes. Um, <laughs> than the finest hours. Um, so, yeah. So she has been, it turns out, um, frozen in a non-deteriorating state mm-hmm. all of these years, these last... Um, you 45, know, 46? 45, yeah, it was 46, 47, 48... Um, a number plus, you know, whoever, however long it took between that and when he met Charlotte Rampling's character, um, she has been preserved in this ice flow. And now with the ice caps melting and with glaciers melting, um, she is discovered and thus kicks off the events of this story. Um, which I would also note when I was watching it, I was thinking like, this feels like such like a short story. Yeah, it does. And then mm-hmm. it's based on one. So oh, it is? So that's why. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, it's based on a short story. So um, so if that further helps you to sort of picture what to expect scope-wise, this is based mm-hmm. on a short story, and it absolutely plays like a short story. Um, so it's nothing too big. It's just a very intimate, small, but very emotionally impactful thing. But you think it lays it on pretty thick with the symbolism. It does lay it on pretty thick with the symbolism. Um, so uh, there's a few things. Uh, so so even even like the the glacier, the idea of a sure. of a okay. glacier melting and and just crashing down on the life around it that you know that was not paying attention to it. Uh, we have Charlotte Rambling here, and she has been going through her life uh, uninterrupted, very comfortable, very with no reason to have concern. And then out of nowhere, this structure, meaning her marriage, sort of starts to crumble down around her. And then this memory, preserved perfectly in time, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. suddenly, okay. suddenly, suddenly okay. crashes into it. So there's that. There are also a number of scenes where she just stares at watches <laughs> while while a ba- well while yeah, that's true. while a bell tower chimes behind her. That is true. Uh and Tag Hauer watches. Yes, lots of Tag Hauer watches. Uh to her just staring and you hear like the tick 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 and then you hear like boom 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 mm-hmm, going yeah. behind her. And so time <laughs> <laughs> Time is a theme. And then uh, and then the husband says something on, I think, like the final day of the story where he's like, I don't really pay much attention to what time it is or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of symbolism. Uh, in, and, and then I believe there's a scene where she is working with like a, a, like a historical society. Yes. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. OK. So, All right. You painted the picture for me. So there's that. Um, and so it's very literary in that way. And beyond just the symbolism, there is some very pointed song use in this movie, like super pointed. Um, you'll notice that, uh, so as they're preparing for their anniversary party, um, there is a song that they start talking about dancing to, which was their first song when they got married. And that song, Smoke Gets In Your Eyes, Mm -hmm. uh, which right there is about not being able to see something right smoking in your eyes obscuring your vision 
and it has the lyric, all who love are blind. Mm-hmm. Uh, so were these things that she hasn't been seeing all these years. Right. Uh, then there's a scene that feels positively taunting where she is looking at a collage of photos of them throughout the years and while happy together mm-hmm. plays, yep. uh, which just feels mean. <laughs> and then over the end credits, um, Go Now by the Moody, Blue, uh, the Moody Blues plays, uh, which is like Go Now um, Before You See Me Cry, mm-hmm. uh, which yeah. in the final moments of the film will be very resonant. Please, please pay attention to the end of the film. Yes. So whenever, so this is, and this is not a spoiler. Um, so whenever you are watching them at their party and they are dancing to smoke gets in your eyes, that is your cue to start staring at it very intently. Watch both of them. Watch their every nuance and breath. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that is where everything is. Everything Absolutely. to know about this movie, everything to know about her and him and what has happened in these last few days between them, um, you will find just through watching that scene very closely. This movie, it is our pick of the week. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you mentioned in, in the last moments, paying attention to what they do and what they say, it's such a, it's such, it's like the lowest, most subtle but impactful physical movie. Mm-hmm. Um, there, it's not, you know, it's not like a a brawling fight. It's no Rocky. It's no Creed. No, but but the 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 movements are so important. Yeah, um, they they they're so telling of the story, and the story is such a good. It talks to fears, all mm. of our fears about how important we think we are, where mm-hmm. what what our value is. Can you ever really know someone? Right, someone what, that you spend every day with. What what is regret? Mm-hmm. What what are the what are the constructs that you've built? Right, your life around and your assumptions. Well, and speaking of fear. Uh, there are ways in which this film feels not unlike a ghost story. Mm-hmm. And in, in one scene in particular, like a horror story, yeah. there's one scene that is 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 will make the, the hair on your neck stand up. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're like, what is happening? And it's just this one vignette in this whole movie. And it's so perfectly done. It's so absolutely chilling. It's like a different, it's like a new... It's like a, it's not a rom com, but like a a horror of the horror com. It's a. (laughs) That's something different too. That's something completely different. A rom horror. Nope. (laughs) A horror, a horror of the heart. It's like a A horror of the heart. Horror, horror, horror of the heart. It's a, it's an it's an emotional Mm -hmm. horror movie. It is an emotional horror movie, and it worked it out. And yes, and it's sort of an emotional ghost story as well. Um, uh, one that's reminiscent of, of, of Rebecca's namesake. Oh yeah. <laughs> yes. Indeed. Um, yes. The Daphne du Moyer's, uh, Rebecca, um, about a, uh, a bride who is moving into a husband's new home and, uh, and, and learning from his, um, his housekeeper that he, that, you know, the, the spirit of the previous miss, the missus looms large and, and to uh, fill. Yes. And so this is like a sort of like a latent life, Rebecca, where it's about where sort of if the roles were reversed and there was Mm -hmm. just a very brief Mm -hmm. affair, just a child, just a youthful fling in the 60s um, that then suddenly emerged 45 years into a marriage to just redefine everything and to throw everything off kilter and off balance. Mm -hmm. Uh, So uh, so, yeah, that's sort of what 45 years is. It's also worth pointing out this movie is adapted and directed by Andrew Haig, mm-hmm. uh, who made Weekend, and who also, uh, I believe, co-created Looking, 
Um, I'm not sure exactly what his capacity is in looking, but looking is is essentially his show. And uh, so this is a really um, unexpected film from him because mm-hmm. his work up until this point has been entirely about, um, you know, sort of gay male culture, right? Um, whether in the UK or in San Francisco. But all about relationships. All about relationships. And uh, and Weekend certainly was incredibly nuanced um, in, in sort of breaking down all the different emotional layers of these two men who've just met and who feel a special connection. Mm-hmm. So 45 Years is almost sort of a companion to that. The of, bookend. Yeah, the bookend of like, here is the couple at you know way the other end of the spectrum who've been been married for 45 years and are now having these revelations that are shaking them Mm -hmm. and uh so andrew haig props to you for getting out of the gay ghetto and (laughs) for making a prestige movie that uh has made huge ripples and awards uh attention and may have would have won an academy award and could have and was damn near close to winning best actress because as we talked about in our first oscar episode Charlotte Rampling was was thought to be possibly a dark horse that could overthrow mm-hmm. Brie Larson if Brie Larson and Saoirse Ronan were to cross each other out as being ingenues. Right. Um, Charlotte Rampling being uh, a legend, being uh, you know someone who has never even been nominated for an Oscar before. She was pretty ready. Um, and I don't know when the deadline is for the voting, for the final voting, for mm-hmm. who actually was going to win. Um, but she certainly um, put her foot in it yeah. um, with this thing. And I, I have a hard time picturing her um, walking off with the Oscar. But and as deserving as she is, I still think Brie Larson's more deserving. Me sure. personally, I think Brie Larson, um, she's going to win. And I think she deserves it. And I mean, Academy Awards come and go. But being the pick of the week and a binge it <laughs> from the Binge Movie Podcast right. only comes once. You want to talk about legacy. A week. Oh, you want- <laughs> and it goes, comes to this movie this week. <laughs> Yes, enjoy the hubris, 45 years. <laughs> 45 years is out now and is rated R for language and brief sexuality. And that brings us to our last movie of the week, which is Nas and Malik. Two closeted Muslim teens hawk goods across Brooklyn and struggle to come clean about their sexuality as a secretive behavior leads them unknowingly into the crosshairs of the war on terror. Do you know anyone who's recently traveled to East Africa or Pakistan? FBI lady. You don't want to text me she was coming by? I called you. You lying to me. I wouldn't. And I love you, man. Are you always going to be gay? Okay, so should we start this one off with a confession? Let's. Neither of us made it all the way through Nas and Malik. Mm, sorry, guys. I swear. We always watch movies in their entirety. If we ever do this, we, we didn't. We will tell you the way we're telling you right now. I got about 90% through the movie. Which should tell you how rough it is to watch if Rebecca was 10% away from finishing it and still was like, you know what? I can't. I couldn't do it. Yeah. I had the time. I watched a good deal less than Rebecca did. (laughs) But it's not going to stop us from reviewing it. Ha! Here we go. Boo! You got served, (laughs) Naza Malik. Take that, gay Muslim romance. It had such a good story. Yeah. I mean, this is... So we were excited to watch it. We were both excited to watch it um, because, you know, it seemed like it's doing what film should do, which is provide a perspective that hasn't been depicted before. Something to be like, oh, this is eye opening. This is showing me a, a slice of life that I'm unfamiliar with. This mm-hmm. is this is, you know, this is sort of expanding my my sense of the world and of the people in it. And so we were like, cool, like this sounds really interesting it has so many sort of, you know, like hot button, you know, boxes. Absolutely. Um, but it seemed like it was going to put them together in a, in a just an or, or organic way. And and yet. <laughs> Unfortunately, missed the mark. We, you know, we want to 
we want to highlight movies that celebrate diversity. Sure. Um, there's, you know, so much talk now about diversity in Hollywood and mm-hmm. movies like this getting an opportunity to be made. Right. And, to be, um, and this is not a Hollywood movie, to be clear. This is, this is this is an independent film. This is not made in Hollywood. Right. Uh, it's getting a very small, um, you know, theatrical run and it's available on VOD now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can check it out if you feel so inclined. And, and I think, you know, it's good that it exists, but guys... It's amateurville. Very much so. Performance-wise especially. Yeah, acting was definitely the low point yeah. in this movie. And I can't, like, I'm just really, really actor-focused when I watch movies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I know some people aren't as much. Um, and, you know, they're able to stand back and look at more of the big picture, look at the ideas, look at the technical, you know, attributes. But, like, for me, it lives and dies with the actors. And these guys, like, God love them. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that they are, are willing to, you know, tell such a story that, you know, that has the, the power to be so, um, incendiary. Um, but these guys, they're just not great. No, it's not in the, the maybe someday they'll be better actors, but guys right now, they're really not the, the supporting cast, the, um, Oof. it just really breaks it. It makes it unbearable. Almost the first scene, I was like, nope. I was ready to throw in the towel after just the first scene. Yeah. I was like, this is impossible to watch. These people are insufferable as actors. And this movie is being distributed by Wolf Video, which I'm sure you have had a history. Um, Wolf Video was like super important mm-hmm. um, in yeah. being a place where we could yeah. find a lot of gay and lesbian movies. Oh, yeah. And they've yeah. distributed um, you know, so many movies. I'm working we... with them on uh, another one uh, right now. Um, oh, you're making that movie finally? Yeah. Aww. I'm doing it, guys. Thanks for your support. <laughs> uh, no, I'm emailing with them for a, a forthcoming um, LGBT, well, I don't want to call it LGBT. Uh, it's like a gay horror comedy called You're Killing Me. Oh, nice. Um, so, which we will be reviewing in a later episode. So, yeah, no, I mean, Wolf Video does great stuff. And, and even if this movie is as amateur as we believe it to be, uh, it's good of Wolf Video to give it um, distribution mm-hmm. so that people can see the story. Um, but goddamn, like, and even like, I think the photography was good. I think it was evocative mm-hmm. of of New York and of I mean, it takes place in like Bed Stuy yep. and and areas around there. And and you know, to me, it felt very like okay, like I, I I'm feeling it. I'm feeling this the atmosphere. Um, but the actors were so bad, Ter- just terrible. Oh, guys. There's like and, a woman who plays an FBI agent that... Goddamn. It's just... Uh, it's just not good. You know, like, so so we don't have a whole lot to say about this one because neither of us finished it. And I and Rebecca, having watched 90% of it, I, I, I highly doubt that the last 10% was going to like put it over the top no, the, <laughs> and uh, redeem everything that came before it. Highlight, there was a chicken. Mm. Standout performance by that chicken. Yes. Good work, chicken. Um, so yeah, so unfortunately, we're going to we're gonna have to give this a send it back. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and, and again, guys, like we apologize that we did not finish this movie and, and we will always be forthcoming with you when we have not uh, done that. But this was, this was just, I require a certain level of polish when mm-hmm. I'm watching a movie. Um, I feel like, which I feel like, you know, if, if Tangerine, uh, can can, can be one of like, the best movies of last year and have non-professional actors in it and be filmed with a goddamn iPhone, mm-hmm. then I'm sorry, the bar is really high. Yeah, absolutely. If you're going to be, like, there's no excuse to be making a movie that is as shittily performed as this movie is. 
Um, and I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure that, you know, it will be difficult to find actors who are willing to play, you know, such kind of like a, a, a hot button kind of thing. Right. Or wouldn't it be? I feel like actors are like, Ooh, people talk about that. I'll play that. Yeah. And you're filming a goddamn New York. There's like theater actors everywhere who are like gagging for work. Just pull people off a of law and order. Yeah, exactly. There's so many just like go in the casting office and just like, you know, grab a couple and drag them off for 10 days and shoot this indie mm-hmm. and then release them back. And then they can have a prestige indie about gay Muslims under their belt. And then everyone will talk about them. Exactly. So I just don't understand uh, what happened here, but goddamn, it's a missed opportunity. Uh, so it sounds good on paper, sounds interesting, but it's one of those fucking gay film festival movies that you're like, oh, this is painful, unwatchable. So it's very Cleveland Independent Film Festival. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's definitely like a frame line 2 p.m. on a Tuesday. Yeah. At like the Roxy mm-hmm. kind of movie where mm-hmm. you're like, oh, ooh, <laughs> this is not good. So yeah, so we're 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 sorry to say it, but we're sending back Nas and Malik, and we hope that it will be tinkered with and will be brought back to us with some competent ass actors and maybe some more thought given to the screenplay, um, so that it can be the great powerful story that it should be and that it had the potential to be, but that it's squandered. So that wraps up the show for the week. Um, thank you so much for listening to our two full-fledged reviews and our one partially baked review mm. um, of a partially baked movie. Yeah. Um, Jason, if you want, if you are a fan of the show, what should you do? If you're a fan of the show, uh, hopefully you have already subscribed to us on iTunes. Um, but if you haven't, do so. And if you like the show, please rate and review it. Um, so that we can keep bringing the show to you and, and, and bring the show to more people. If you are on Android, you can find us on Stitcher or the SoundCloud app. Mm-hmm. You can find me on Twitter at the Jason Leroy, and you can find Rebecca at Fight Balance. We occasionally tweet about movies. We do, and we would love to hear from you. Um, we are not big deals. And we will absolutely respond. To anything. (laughs) Yes. Are you a sex bot? I'll respond. Yes. Yes, I will follow for follow. Absolutely. F for F all the way. Thanks again for listening. Bye-bye. Bye, guys. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end. That's amazing. There goes the binge.